Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, the podcast brought to you by the PI Collaboratives team at Vizient. I'm Lindsay Mayer, Senior Director at Vizient and your program host. In honor of Workplace Violence Awareness Month, I'm excited to kick off our three-part series on the topic. In this podcast, we'll discuss the latest trends among workplace violence in healthcare. According to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, workplace violence is defined as any act or threat of physical violence, harassment, intimidation, or other threatening disruptive behavior that occurs at the work site. Statistics show that healthcare workers are at an increased risk for violence, and this has been exacerbated during the COVID pandemic. The World Health Organization found in February 2022 that as many as 38% of healthcare workers around the world suffered physical violence at some point during their careers. Joining me today to share their perspectives are two experts in the field of workplace violence and the accreditation standards associated. I'd first like to introduce Mark Reed, Director of Support Services at MLK Community Healthcare in Los Angeles, California and Diana Scott, Associate Vice President of Accreditation Regulatory Advisory Services here at Vizient. Welcome, Mark and Diana. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Lindy. It's a pleasure to be here. Mark, I'd like to start with a question to you. Given you are out there on the front lines, what's the current state of workplace violence from your perspective? Thank you, Lindsay. Unfortunately, it looks as though the state of workplace violence is continuing to get worse. The pandemic obviously didn't do us any favors I'd like to share a story that kind of exemplifies what workplace violence looks like on the front lines. Uh, A nurse at a Central Florida hospital who was more than 32 weeks pregnant was giving medicine to a patient in the behavioral health unit when the patient began to scream. Moments later, another patient entered that room, shoved the nurse against the wall, and tried to kick her. Fortunately, staff responded and were quickly able to pull that patient off the nurse. Unfortunately, when that nurse went to get checked out, they found that her baby had no heartbeat. Unfortunately, these are the type of events that we're seeing on a daily basis when it comes to our healthcare workers and what they're having to suffer with. Thanks, Mark, for sharing. That's a really powerful story on this topic. And as I mentioned in the opening, we've seen an uptick in workplace violence. What have you noticed in the last two years? Yeah, it continues to increase. In 2021, the National Nurses United surveyed 5,000 of its members and found that roughly 31% of hospital RNs are seeing an uptick in workplace violence. The International Association of Healthcare Security and Safety did their annual crime survey, which also showed a significant increase in workplace violent events. And it seems that with the impact of COVID, visitation restrictions, and a lot of the issues with shutting down in behavioral health and mental health, We're seeing a big increase when it comes to workplace violence and uncivility against healthcare workers. Diana, as someone who's working with Vizient members, what is your perspective on this? I think to Mark's point, emphasizing all of the repercussions of the pandemic, closings, openings, the escalating stressors has contributed to where we are today. So organizations have definitely taken some initiative to proactively work on this with their community law enforcement. They've initiated more thorough security assessments of their organizations. They've also taken a look not just inside the organization, but also outside of the physical environment and reevaluated staff education on recognizing and de-escalating threatening situations. And who should be receiving this education on dealing with these threatening situations? We know, again, historically that there were pockets throughout our organizations that perceived as being the most at risk. But again, through all these other contributing factors, we know that uh, there's a lot of risk throughout the organization, not just in pockets. 
Thanks for sharing your perspective on that topic, Diana. Mark, how do you think the workforce shortage is related to the issue of workplace violence increasing? When you have a shortage in the workforce, now you're relying heavily on travelers and they don't have the same knowledge base with an organization. So you have a lot of turnover and a lot of reliance on registry and travelers. You have a void when it comes to the education and that knowledge that Diana was mentioning. It's really tough to have that continuous training that's going to have a long-term impact. When you have a large turnover and you're relying on these new people, it takes a while to learn your culture. In 2011, the Journal of Nursing Administration said a third of emergency room nurses were considering leaving the profession due to workplace violence. So you have this epidemic of workplace violence now coupled with the pandemic, and it creates this perfect storm where it's really tough to have a long-term impact and sustained improvement. Along with the uptick in the number of workplace violence events, the Joint Commission is coming out with a new set of requirements in 2022. Diana, what are members finding most difficult with these new requirements? Organizations are in the process of addressing the new requirements that do go into effect July 1st of 2022. For many organizations, the new requirements are more rigorous and more structured than what has historically been done. While many organizations have had workplace violence prevention programs and reporting was part of their event reporting policy, the Joint Commission now requires a specific metric on workplace violence that must be monitored, reported, and analyzed. And what kind of metrics are they looking at? So essentially, it spins off of your policy definition. Once you've defined in your policy what is it, then it's much easier to start looking at the actual events. In general, I'd say that most of the definitions include things that speak to hitting, kicking, beating, shoving, throwing objects, any kind of physical contact while you're trying to provide care or subdue them for any reason or restrain them, verbal abuse is something that in the past we hadn't really recognized. And now we know what a strong influencer that is to staff morale. That is something that everyone has started including. And then, of course, there is the most obvious, which are those things that are of criminal intent. In the collection of that event information, it's really important to provide sufficient details so you can start stratifying data and conduct a meaningful analysis, and then implementing the appropriate mitigation strategies for that type of event or situation. Great. What else are organizations struggling with when it comes to these requirements that are coming up? So the new requirements are also prescriptive on expectations for training, education, and resources. Who and what kind of education is to be provided to your staff leaders and your licensed practitioners is essentially based on the role they have in the organization. So the requirement gives latitude to the organization to determine who and what they're going to be doing education on. But the education is expected to be provided annually and whenever there's changes that may be occurring. And lastly, I'll just mention the Workplace Violence Prevention Program has to be led by a designated individual and then participation from a multidisciplinary team. So it's important that there is representation from across the organization. And this group is responsible for developing those policies and the procedures to prevent and respond to workplace violence how to report an incident, and then the analysis of the incidents and trends, how to support victims and those witnessing the event. 
and any unique and innovative strategies that you're hearing from healthcare organizations? A commitment to staff education and training on early recognition and de-escalation. This should be more than just check the box. To become a norm of ongoing education and practice is needed. So continuing education and simulation experiences with recognizing the warning signs, how to respond to an aggression situation, and how to report an event. Some other initiatives we've seen are an increase in the installation of panic alarms, increased security rounding. There's been a a reevaluation of security staffing and their ability to be more visible throughout the organization. We have some hospitals who have added security lock boxes outside the hospital entrances so law enforcement or fire officials have access to keys, maps, and badges so that they can get into the facility in the event that that organization has been locked down with criminal intent. Thank you, Diana. And Mark, I want to ask you the same question. What are some of those unique strategies you're hearing from organizations? Organizations now are looking to technology to help solve some of these problems as well. I know there's organizations currently installing metal detectors at their entrances that are integrated with their video management systems and the analytics that come with that. Now trying to identify people that might be armed or carrying a concealed weapon. Utilizing sound intelligence, we're able to put microphones throughout your hospital that's able to detect you know, glass breaking, gunshot detection, and even now aggression detection, where they can monitor the sound in that environment, be able to detect as someone starts to escalate in aggression, set an alert so staff can respond and intervene before that aggression can then turn to violence and hopefully reduce incidents and be more proactive rather than reactive. Also, notification systems. How do you notify people of an incident? Do you send a text message to all the cell phones on campus? Do you do an overhead page? Is there alarms that go off? Really having a formalized process for that and make sure that your staff are aware of what that looks like is also key to ensure that the right staff are responding and ushering patients to a safer spot. Those are all key components, I think, when it comes to some of the innovative strategies that we're seeing in healthcare. Thank you both for sharing those. I know it's always exciting to hear about some of those new strategies. Mark, I know we have a variety of healthcare leaders listening right now. What can they specifically do to help address and ultimately prevent workplace violence at their organization? The two biggest things that I've seen have the biggest and most immediate impact is ensuring that you're conducting a proactive risk assessment, going through department by department, and utilizing the frontline staff. Far too often, you might have a security representative, a risk management representative, maybe a manager of that department that go through and do those risk assessments. But it's very key that you hear from your frontline staff and see what they observe and what they're familiar with and what they recognize. And then once you've identified those risks, really taking strong steps to mitigate them and try to create the safe environment for your patients, staff, and visitors. And the next thing is, to Diana's point again, training. Uh, I think the more we train our staff to identify what the assault cycle looks like, we know how and when to intervene appropriately, and then train our staff on solid de-escalation techniques and practicing those. I think the proactive risk assessments and that specific training will have an immediate and large impact when it comes to reducing workplace violence in your hospital environment. 
I would also like to add just a couple other things. Doing a aggression risk assessment on patients when they're coming into the organization and determining if there's going to be documentation, medical record flagging of that patient. And how long would that flag remain on that patient's record? There's definitely a lot in the literature about using that strategy. And having talked to a number of organizations, it's relatively split as to whether that's advantageous or whether that's biasing people when they care for that patient or whether that's being proactive. And so don't wait for something to happen in your organization Take a look at whether there are mitigating strategies that you should be implementing based on others' lessons learned. Great point. And lastly, Diana, what does Vizient currently have or how can they help healthcare organizations to address workplace violence within their organization? We do have a great team that can come on site and actually conduct that comprehensive assessment of the workplace violence program. We can give the organizations a place to start and move forward from. We have a team of both individuals with law enforcement, security experience, as well as nurses experienced in emergency response. So we would love to be able to work with organizations and help them put their feet on the path to moving towards a workplace violence program effective moving forward. Mark and Diana, I just want to say I appreciate your depth of knowledge and willingness to share your experiences with us today. Thank you so much for having us for this important topic. Thanks again, Lindsay. And thanks again to Mark Reed and Diana Scott for speaking with us today and to you for listening. For Vizian's PI Collaboratives team, I'm Lindsay Mayer. Please join us for more Knowledge on the Go. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at picollaboratives at vizianinc.com.